0: The football mental health
1: alliance podcast a mental health podcast for grassroots football our aim to boldly delve into the intersection of mental health and football we feature notable experts and ex-pros who are not afraid to share their wisdom and personal
0: journeys with mental health Welcome to another insightful episode of the Football Mental Health Alliance podcast where we dive deep into the intersection of football and mental well-being. I'm your host, Danny Mathrew, founder of the Football Mental Health Alliance. In today's episode we have the pleasure in speaking with Johnny Lowry, an author and devoted football enthusiast with a profound passion for the beautiful game. Johnny's love for football extends from the grand stadiums to grassroots clubs as he follows England and his beloved Sutton United, both home and away. Our discussion with Johnny revolves around his latest book, Match Fit, a compelling exploration of mental health within football. This insightful work strives to break down the stigma surrounding mental well-being in football, from the elite Premier League level to cherished five-a-side matches played in local communities and everything in the middle. Match Fit features candid contributions from notable figures in the football world, including Chris Kirkland, Paul Lambert, and Marcus Bent, all sharing their personal insights on the topic. Together with Johnny, we delve into the complexities of mental health conditions that often go no- unnoticed in the sport. Johnny's journey into this subject is deeply personal; himself living with mental health. His dedication to raising awareness around mental health, ensuring it is no longer a taboo topic in society, has culminated in his book, Match Fit. Welcome, Johnny Lowry. Hi, Johnny. Right, so really good to have you on today. Really, really appreciate this. And it's something we're really excited to, to learn and listen to you about your experiences around mental health, the books you've written, and, and what's brought you to where you are now. So if I kick off with the first question, Johnny. Uh, can you tell us about your motivation behind writing Match Fit, an exploration of mental health in football and, and what inspired you to delve into this topic? Of course.
1: Uh, thanks for having me on the podcast, Danny. Um, so, yeah, Match Fit, um, it's a book all about mental health and football. Um, There's a variety of different topics, which I'm, I'm sure we'll come on to a bit later. Um, the motivation for it really is my own experiences with mental health. So when i was a teenager um, i really struggled with my mental health um, i was down a lot of the time often didn't want to go out of the house in particular i uh, didn't want to go to school um, so we're, we're talking um, this kind of started from the years where i, I started secondary school um, completely new environment for me i didn't know anyone um, all of my mates from primary school went to a different school to me mm. so that was very tough um, and I, you know i'd have nights where i'd literally be crying myself to sleep on a sunday I'd try and stay awake as long as I could, because it felt like it would be longer um, before I'd then be up again and going into school on a Monday. And this went on for years, um, but I never knew that I had problems with my mental health. Um, I'd never heard the term mental health. Yeah. If you told me, um, you know, do, do you need help with your mental health? I'd have looked at you and just been like, well, you know, what are you on about sort of mm. thing? Um, and it, it wasn't until I went to university so we're talking the age of 19 20 you know like out of my teens even that I, I really even knew what mental health was and it wasn't until then therefore that i i got help for it mm. so i was living this kind of half life almost for my whole teenage years which is a, a real shame looking back and i'm i'm sure i wouldn't be the only person to yeah. have to have experienced that so i thought i wouldn't have bought a book about mental health um self help a self help book for example um, when I was sixteen seventeen eighteen even nineteen because I think when you don't know about something you won't go out of your way necessarily to learn about it mm. but I've always been obsessed with football and football's always been the one thing that's really got me through yeah. so I thought if I can write a book about football and mental health people like myself of all ages um, by the way will will buy it for the football um and and we'll learn something while they're reading it as well yeah. and we'll learn about themselves crucially so uh, hopefully there'll be people that read match fit um and think yeah like i'm i feel good most of the time but i have the odd bad day and i can get help for that or maybe they'll be going through a tough period and they'll feel the confidence to get help so really i hope it can help people and um, be a source of learning um, with the the football side as well being a a, a vehicle to drive that i suppose
0: brilliant it, it, it's i think what's great for me is that you've looked back and seen where you were and 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 what you could do about it were there any like looking back were there any triggers there anything that maybe causes a strong word i don't like to use that but any triggers there that you maybe thought that 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 contributed that contributed is there anything they can see looking back now that 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 put you
1: where you were shall we say mm-hmm. yeah I, th- I think with things like depression and anxiety it's very easy to get into um, a vicious cycle where things mm-hmm. get worse and worse and worse so I was feeling down not wanting to go into school when I did go in I'd be quite withdrawn um, I didn't really go out that much socially I play football on a Friday night we, we had our training on a Friday night um, I remember and a lot of my teammates would go out um, afterwards house parties yeah um, there's a, a place uh, near me called the underage drinking bench which you can probably work out what that was and <laughs> it, the sort of things where um, I, I never really integrated myself into the group or really made yeah. the effort to to be honest I'm certainly not blaming anyone else so I, I just became more and more withdrawn and then it's it's hard to get out of that cycle yeah so I think yeah. that was a, a big issue for me. And, and the one place I did get out of that cycle and the, the one thing that actually made sure I was still um, doing something socially at least was football. Yeah. Um, whether that be playing it, because um, I'd at least be interacting with my teammates on a Friday and a Sunday morning when we played yeah. um, or watching it um, on a Saturday afternoon. So that that was what always got me through. But it, I think, yeah, it, it was the only thing really that stopped me getting deeper into this cycle. yeah, yeah. Um, and, and yeah, just making things worse.
0: So yeah, you talk about how football, you know, helped your mental health. How what did it? What how did it help then? Was it the being with around others? Was it the physical element of it? Was it being able to talk to people? Was it just? I don't I don't know about you, but my experience when I played football when I played, you know, as a kid, I, and and like I always remember that whenever I start, whenever I crossed that white line, I didn't think about anything else. Mm. You know, literally, if I had any things bothering me or worrying me the minute I started playing everything went and all we focus on is playing football it was such a release and such a a withdrawal from anything I was thinking that's what that's what it did for me
1: yeah exactly the same for me I mean it's a combination of all of those things you mentioned really Um, there's a couple of chapters in my book that actually looked at this and those were the most fascinating chapters for me because it's like looking inside my own brain and I spoke to to academics who've done proper research into this stuff, and you know, there, there was a guy, uh, Dr. Alan Pringle, who actually did his PhD on why people are football supporters. All right. Um, now, because I've always found it, yeah, someone says, "Oh, why why are you going to Barrow away on a Tuesday night?" Um, or why are you going to Port Vale in a League Cup or wherever it is? And, I, and it, it is kind of hard for me to logically, rationally explain yeah. why I'm such a committed football fan. I mean, until I went to the World Cup, I didn't miss a Sutton away game in seven years. This is how right. dedicated we're talking. Um, and he actually, he did his uh, PhD into this. So finally kind of legitimising myself a little bit. Um, he said, with the watching of football, supporting a team, hope is a massive thing. Yeah. <laughs> so, you can be having a, a terrible week, but you know things are going to get better because yeah. you're going to watch your team play at the weekend. Um, so, there's that sense of hope. And on the pitch as well, even if, you know, like my team have now, we've lost five games in a row, I'm still going to Swindon on Saturday, believing yeah. that we can, that we will win. Yeah. And if yeah. we don't, then, you know, never mind, it's on to Accrington the next week and we're yeah, going to yeah, hopefully yeah. win there. But we're going to win at some point. Um, so Who's your team, Johnny? Just, just remind Sut- the listeners
0: who your team is.
1: Sutton United. We are in League Two. Um, we, we've had a great time of it the last few years, but uh, sadly not so much the last few weeks. But um, yeah, things will, 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 will pick up
0: soon, I think. So yeah, yeah, keep the faith. Um, keep the faith. Yeah. So you got, you were saying about the psychology around, you know, being a football fan. Yeah. Sorry. Continue. Yeah, so the
1: the hope is one thing. Um, community, which I think you mentioned yeah. as well, yeah. and I've I've touched upon in terms of. So uh, I know every Saturday I'm going to be uh, meeting up with a certain group of mates. We're going to spend the day together. We're going to yeah, we're, we're going to chat all manners of things. Yeah. and we don't even have to make the effort because we all know yeah. we're, it, when Sutton are plan at home. I I have to spend zero minutes, zero seconds organizing it because we just turn up. and We all yeah. know we're all going to be there. Um, so it's a really easy thing to make yeah. sure you, you maintain that um, yeah. social connection same thing with away games with a slightly smaller group of people yeah. but you know th- these are going to be people that have your back you're you're, yeah. you're bound together by your yeah. love of a football team yes. yeah. um, there's someone um so he's from a group called talking cherries simon k um which is a, a, an afc bournemouth mental health yeah. support group which is great um he he talked about um tribalism which is often yeah. given a, a negative light of mm. course and certainly in the media yeah. and there are of course negative uh, parts to it I'm, I'm certainly not talking it up but there are um, I think it, he described it as social inclusion yeah, is yeah. Uh, the cousin of tribalism yeah. Yeah. so having that love for your football team you'll feel that other people um, that are, are in your group it's kind of like defend them at all costs scenario. Yeah. But that should extend and often does extend to mental health. I mean, I know um, my my mates at Sutton know that I've had my challenges with mental health. They're some of the first people I spoke to about it, and I always know that um, they've got my back. If I'm feeling low, I can talk to them and they'll always be there for me. I know if I if I pick up the phone at three in the morning, um, someone will answer it from that group. So that social inclusion is a great thing. And I think for me and a lot of other people as well, catharsis to an extent. Yeah. um yeah. I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, always in. I'm behind the goal. I'm singing. I'm shouting at the players, the ref, the opposition fans, whatever. For ninety yeah. minutes, yeah. you can, you can yeah. do it, and it's kind of okay. Yeah. sometimes long as you're not yeah. out in the street or at the train station in the pub yeah. doing it, yeah. yeah, you're all right. Yeah. Um, and then you, you get everything off your chest, and you, you go back yeah, to it's your like kind a release. of release. Yeah, yeah you, you go back to your kind of civilized life for the, for the you know, yeah. Monday to yeah. Friday, nine to five. Um, so those things for me have always been um, really important and got me through. then you talk about um, like distraction as well from uh, your problems. Like the, yeah. Playing football, I think, is the main way I get that. But even when yeah. I'm at a game for 90 yeah. minutes watching, I'm not really thinking about anything else. It's uh, how, you know, when are we going to have a shot on target? Yeah. When, yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Set piece we're going to concede from. So, um, it, and it does distract you. It does, yeah. Um and, yeah, I, I mean, I I play football every Wednesday, um, forty minute a game, and I I'm so busy shouting at my defenders, yeah. organizing, playing goal, yeah. um, so <laughs> keeping myself busy that yeah. um, you you just can't think about anything else, no. even if you wanted to. Yeah. Your your yeah. mind has no capacity for it, and it is great yeah. to have that release, even if it's short term, and to be able to look forward to that as well.
0: Well, I think one of the questions one of the questions I've got to ask you is talking about. You know, in your book, you mention issues that football may encounter after retirement. You know, and I'm going to ask you, you know, can you elaborate on the mental health impact of transitioning out of a football career? And I think we've just sort of touched on that. We're saying that, you know, like us as, you know, probably not very good footballers or and football supporters, we get that release and that focus, you know, I presume that that's what happens with, you know, professionals when they transition out of the game. They, they, they don't have that. Would that would that be a, co- a correct sort of assumption from your research and experience?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it can be tough for professional footballers because they're so used to being in that environment. So, uh, so a lot of professional footballers will retire in their early 30s. Many of them would have been playing academy football since eight, nine, yeah. ten years old. So they've been in this really competitive environment for at least 20 years. Um, they've always had the the dressing room support um, or the, the the conversation, the, the banter. It, it might not be um, deep emotional support like I think it is for football supporters, yeah. but there is still a network there. Um, yes. Players will be interacting. They've got people to talk to, to you know go out and socialise with. And they've got the the natural competitive high of Mm -hmm. playing as well the the endorphins the the feelings of success um of of, even if it's just winning the odd game yeah it's a massive emotional high and low which can be problematic in itself but um players that enjoy that when that stops all of a sudden it's uh uh, it, it it can be tough for them to know where to go next how to recreate the yeah. feelings of of those highs, and that's why so many players um, will, will end up having problems with addiction because they try and recreate it in yeah. in damaging ways. I think one of the main challenges with retirement that I picked up upon in my book it it, it wasn't so much um, the the emotional challenges, and there are of course those, and football does need to be aware of that. But the, the practical challenges for a lot of players as well. I mean, if you're a Premier League player and you earn £250,000 a week and you retire in your early 30s, you're you're most of the time, financially at least, going to be okay if if you know how to manage your finances. A lot of Premier League players don't, and that's um, probably something the football world needs to work on. But uh, the majority of professional footballers don't actually earn that much money. Um, And they're not the players that get media attention. Yeah. So if you're a championship player you're probably doing all right but um bottom half of the championship down to league 2 the national league um, as well is pretty much professional now you're earning a couple of thousand pounds a week which mm. is which should be good for someone my age yeah. but I'm going to be in my job in an office job really until I'm in my 60s yeah <laughs> if yeah. you're you're earning a couple of grand a week and then suddenly that stops in your 30s then it, it can be tough to provide for a, you, a lot of the yeah. time pairs will have families at that age and it, they've gotten used to living a certain way. And mm. most footballers don't choose when they retire. Um, yeah. You get to your 30s and actually no one's offering you a contract. Your, your best contract offer is £300 a week and you can't live off that. So you've got to try and do something else, which is why I think it's so important that football has a focus on education for young players coming through the academy system and in your spare time. And you're training in mornings a lot of the time as a footballer, you've got the evenings free. Um, I think teams should encourage players to take up courses with Open University, for example, it's something that I looked at. there's organisations out there, um, there's one called Life After Professional Sport, run by a, a former player, Robbie Simpson, who's um, still managers now at Chelmsford City. Those sort of things prepare players for a career after football, because if you're not prepared, that can bring on a, a whole host of mental health challenges yeah. um, that, that come with the issues with transitioning into the, the rest of your life.
0: It, yeah, it's, um, I think, like you said, though, that that focused there on what they're doing to be the best they can be, that... I think you know a lot of humans you know live short term anyway, but you know very few you know plan for the next twenty years, do they? You know a lot of a lot of us are, are living week to week or month to month, or and I suppose as a as a professional footballer, and again I'm 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 guessing what it's like here, that you, you you're living week to week, aren't you? Because you're only as good as your last performance. Everything mm-hmm. is geared towards the next game, and so your whole focus is who our opposition are, what my job is, who I've got to deal with. And then, you know, it's constant, one week, one week, one week, or even probably a few days, because games now come midweek, weekend, midweek, weekend, so I presume that focus, they don't, they're not allowed the time to maybe, you know, look so far on, because it's so focused on what's coming next, you know, would that be, would that be what you've seen then in your research?
1: yeah i i think a, a lot of people will see that as or, or if footballers are doing anything else it, it's seen to be a distraction yeah um yeah. it's the cliche um so you see it all the time on social media if someone some players he's running his own business or whatever and yeah. people are, or, or when rashford was doing rashford. Uh, his I was work with, say that, um, yeah. with like his his yeah, yeah basically his work to to help people like what could possibly be wrong with that and yeah. people are still out there going you should be yeah. concentrating on your football yeah. i don't think it's a distraction i think yeah players in, in a playing context uh, should be focused on their next yeah. game w- within training and match days but what percentage of their life is that it's not a lot yeah so no. you've still got to fill the extra yeah. time so I, I i think it's really important that football um drops the attitude it has of you anything else outside of the game is a distraction. Yeah you need to be prepared for what, what if you're you're a league two player and you you turn up the next week and break your leg then what? Yeah. because you're, yeah. you're probably on a one-year contract and you're probably not going to get another one um yeah. certainly not at the same pay the same level um so you've always got to have a, a backup plan a, a, something that you can turn to if things go wrong yeah it's the most unstable job really football yes. that there is i mean one week you, know, you scored the winning goal. The next week you're you're out injured. You don't get back in the team. Yeah. Um, the, the manager brings in a new striker on deadline day, and you don't play for the rest of the mm-hmm. season. And then you've not got any offers coming in. And it it can all go wrong very quickly. Um, just as you could rise up the ranks very quickly. And it's yeah. important players are prepared for that. So that's that's one of the key things for for helping footballers with their mental health. Is this um, the idea that th- these aren't footballers? They're people that play football. Yeah. There is more to them than just what you see on yeah. three to five on a Saturday afternoon. They're people. Um, they have things they need to look after for themselves, their families, yeah. and it's not a distraction um, for, for them. And it doesn't detriment the team if they're doing that as well. Oh, brilliant. It can
0: only help the team. I think like you going back to what you said about Marcus Rashford and you know the, the line that was stick to football. That came from politicians. You know, I think I think the you know from what I saw, the majority of people outside of football were vast really supportive of him. Even if you were a Liverpool fan, I saw Liverpool fans congratulating him. It were the politicians that were criticising him because he was doing what he, he mobilised what they should have done in a couple of months yes. that, that they didn't do. So you know, I, I agree with you completely, and I think by having extracurricular activities not just as a footballer but as anyone as me and you that helps with your mental health doesn't it if you're solely focused on your nine to five whatever your nine to five is you know I know footballers are nine to five then you know you've, you've, you've not got pretty much else in your life have you because you know money all the money in the world is not going to make you happy is it you know you need to have other things around that so I totally I, I, I completely agree with you 100 percent um so, so moving on to that you know the, the stigma around mental health has been a you know long-standing challenge in, in society. How do you think football can play a role in breaking this stigma down? Breaking down this stigma.
1: Yeah, so I think footballers are big role models in society. Um, most people, pretty much everyone in the UK, will either be a football fan or know people that are. So if you're not a football fan, maybe you've got a partner that watches it, friends that watch it, people talk about it in the office. Everyone is exposed to football and players have great power. I mean, Daley Alley, for example, p- picking up on yeah. a, a recent interview, really powerful um, yeah. for him to be able to speak out. Because what it shows is that talking about your mental health is a strength, not a weakness. Yeah. Um, and other players recently, it started to become a little bit more um, common. I think Danny Rose was probably one of the first yes. that, that kicked it off. So, footballers can show people that actually, you know, I'm in this stereotypically mm. macho environment, yet I'm speaking about my mental health. Therefore, you know, you can do it as well. Mm. Yeah. So, I think that's probably one of the main roles uh, football can play. And I, I think. Again, coming back to the um, to, to the Delhi Alley example, he's probably gone through the the hardest period of his career yeah. on the pitch at the time yeah. where he was struggling with his mental health. Yeah. So he he had two options really. One is not talking about it, not getting help, and things were probably only going to get worse at that point. Mm. Um, or yeah, reaching out, getting help. Whether he spoke about it publicly or not, I and mean, if if he's gone to look for help for himself, he will improve as a player mm. as well. I mean if we look at this really cynically the football world really cynically even if they didn't care about the well-being of their players at all and did just see them as robots you, you still want to make sure they're looking after their mental health yeah. because they'll play better yeah and if players are struggling with their mental health they're not going to be at their best on the pitch if, if I'm I work at HSBC and if I'm feeling down all the time yeah. I'm not going to be motivated to to do my job if I'm feeling you know happy lively motivated i'm going to work better yeah, yeah. so i think if, if football um as an industry can see the importance of the mental health of its players the players then feel empowered to mm. to get mental health support some of them will talk about it publicly they, they don't have to by the way if 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 that's not um what sees mm. their journey because they're the most important person for them yeah. but a few will inevitably talk about the mental health support they've received and that will Mm. help people um i think a lot of of young people in particular are massively influenced by footballers you you see ronaldo will score a goal and celebrate it and all the kids in the playground on a monday morning will be celebrating their goals in the same way it's the same concept if if people can top level professional players can talk about mental health it will really empower um other people particularly young people to do the same and that will bring about a, a massive change in society i think
0: this is exactly what we're saying, Johnny, Like you know, going back to Delhi Alley briefly, I think it's not a coincidence that the toughest time in his life mentally resulted in the toughest time of his of his career on the pitch. You know it, it, and and it's one of those things, I, remember, I think we put out like something on social media saying, you know the old you know the old adage of you never know what someone's going through. So be kind. Delhi Alley was the perfect example of that. You know the stick you were getting from fans from the from the press again, you know, giving him, the amount of sticky we're getting off people. And then it comes out, what he's been living with, what he's had to deal with. You just think, like you said you, said, you said previously, the people. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not robots. And 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 it, what, what amazes me is that, and I, I remember I said this to someone back long, 2010 World Cup, I think it was in South Africa and England were just a shambles. I remember saying to someone then, if I had a professional football club, the first thing I would employ is a psych, sports psychologist, someone to work on their mental fitness as much as they work on their physical fitness, because like you, like you say, you know, if 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 you if if you're mentally not feeling the best, you can't perform whatever you're doing, you know, whether you're a banker or a footballer or whatever. It's um, yeah, it astounds me that that football is quite behind the curve on on mental health. It, it really does, and I think that. I think that football at all levels is a duty of care to everyone that's involved with it to help them with their mental health. Um, just so from your research and interviews, what are the what are some of the common mental health challenges that you've seen footballers at all levels face? Is there anything that, 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 that there's like a theme running through there?
1: Um, there's quite a few things I, I could um, pick up upon so that. The challenge is, we, we talked about this in relation to retirement, but while players are still playing as well, the, the mental highs and lows mm. that they'll go through, I think can be very, very stressful. So if you're playing in front of 50,000 people and you make a mistake and you've got you know, 50,000 people shouting down your neck, mm. social media, um, so there's a whole chapter on social media, by the way, there, there's a lot we can talk about on that, but that can be tough for, for players at the top level. So then you've made a mistake you've got social media um, abuse facing you as well do you run your own social media account some people think you need to do it to be authentic Gary Neville said a lot about it I I think if you were running a social media account um, and you're a Premier League if you're Harry Maguire running your own social media account it's just not worth it because the the abuse you're getting off there it will affect people um, we all like to think it it won't affect us, and then if someone sends us a message on Twitter we don't like, we jump on it. One person, you, know, you imagine 50,000 people mm. sending you messages like, oh, "I hope your kids are dead," which ha- happens to players at the top level. It, like it, we see this all the time. It's not just a, a hypothetical. Yeah. So there's that in, intense pressure. Then the emotional highs as well. You, you'll you'll have good weeks, and when you crash down again, it, there's such a massive difference in what you're mm. feeling again come back to the office job and the, the job that most people are doing is fairly steady you know you might yeah. get taken off from your line manager or a bit of praise but you're not going through these huge differences yeah. in promotion all the time and it can be draining um yeah i'm sure being paid well helps but money doesn't insulate you from failures mm-hmm. yeah. um so the the I think the common response a lot of the time is oh he's being paid x amount how can he feel like this I don't think that's really valid and we we do need to understand that it it can on the whole be a good life and I yeah. don't get me wrong if I was offered 200 grand a week to play football I'd take it sure. but that doesn't mean it's without challenges and we can't disregard um these players as a result yeah um so that that was one the the, the mental health kind of ups and downs um, and it can make the environment, I think, quite toxic as well. Yeah. Um. Because if you're you're a professional footballer, you're competing against the teams you play against every week, but you're, you're also competing against your teammates, really. If yeah. if you're a, if there's two strikers at the club and you're you're playing yeah. with one up front, you've got to be better than your mm. you know your someone who's meant to be your mate. Um. I spoke to Vincent Pericard, who played. Um. He was at Juventus. Uh, played against Arsenal in the Champions League, it was in Portsmouth for a bit, Stoke City, finished his career for having more to Louisville um, when he was still in his 20s uh, playing Conference South football, so quite a big jump down. And he said, looking back at his life, it was his mental health rather than anything else that, um, and failing to address his mental health specifically. Um, that meant that he did drop down the leagues. Yeah. He was saying football, it's the most lonely environment because it, you go out there, you have to go to training a lot of the time with the mask, because if you show um, what would historically be perceived signs of weakness, you're yeah. thinking well, your teammates are going to jump on that yeah. because they yeah. want your place in the team. Um, and then if they get your place in the team, they have your contract at the end of the season. If you don't get a contract, then it goes back to this whole thing about football being unstable. Mm. So I think it, it can be tough for players to know where to turn which is why I think it's important for clubs to have um a psychologist at the club mm. where players can go anonymously um or for players to to look for mental health support outside of the club which mm. is becoming more and more common now um then there's there's football specific things like injury um so something that can affect your career and, and create uncertainty which is you don't really have any control over yeah. a lot of the time I mean you you could be the the fittest person in the world and receive a horror tackle at the weekend Mm. and you're out for nine months so that that's a big stressor for players um addiction um i think i think addiction is uh, is a a big topic to talk about because in the 80s and 90s it would have been alcohol um tony adams paul um, merson they they were both big um in in kind of changing that really by by opening up about their own battles um Tony Adams has done great things with the Sporting Chance okay. Clinic, but also just as um, someone for people to look up to. I mean, reading his book actually uh, made me realise that I was an alcoholic and I've now been uh, sober for eight months. So, I mm. mean, he, he's, he's influenced me, if nothing else. Yeah, that's brilliant. Um, so, yeah. Fantastic. So, the, so there, there is a, an influence players can have there. But addiction nowadays hasn't gone away. It's just gambling and, and painkillers, as opposed to yeah. alcohol. I think within yeah. professional sport, because they're the invisible addiction, if you like. Yeah. Um, so yeah, lo- lots of things that um, players can go through that um, perhaps we, we don't think of straight away aren't obvious to see, but are, are definitely there in the background and affecting a lot of
0: people. I think like when you said about you know sort of mental health within professional football clubs, we're um, we we speak to, we spoke to so many professional clubs. Myself personally spoke to academy managers, and uh, we've been saying to them we 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 we're encouraging professional clubs to have senior members of the first team mental health first aid trained. And why we've said that is that you know as a as a captain you know so you're like the conduit between the the players and the and the management team or coaching staff. And I think that if senior members of the first team have mental health first aid trained. It, that will help them to potentially identify some of the teammates who are, you know, maybe struggling mentally at the, at the point. And also what we've seen, uh, what we've heard as well is talking to two academies is that they know that a lot of their academy players, you know, of of both, you know, girls and boys are struggling or could be struggling with the mental health but are too afraid to, to say anything for fear of being let go now they we know that they would never get get let you know get let go for the mental health but these young people are concerned about it and like you said about the they're seeing a perceived weakness there and they're, they're worried that they could let go so we're saying if if senior members of the first team a mental health first aid train that'll cascade down into the academies and create an openness around you know, around mental mental health and such like, and we, we're also pushing for at least one person in every grassroots club to be mental health first aid trained as well. And I say to people as, as a coach myself, if there's a safeguarding concern within my club, I know where to go. If I have a mental health concern, I don't know where to go. And and the, 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 the reality is that a lot of people wouldn't go anywhere because they don't know where to go and they have a fear of, you know, being you know rejected or pushed aside or anything like that so just going back to your book it features candid contributions from football personalities could you share some insights into how these interviews re- re- revealed unique perspectives on mental health
1: yeah uh, firstly i think it's a really good point you make there about having players that are mental health first aid trained um it's something actually that norwich city are doing in their academy that i touched upon in the book and it, the idea of taking the onus off the player to come forward, I think, is vital. Um, that's mm-hmm. a recurring theme. As as much as we improve attitudes towards mental health in society, there will still always be that fear. Just the natural competitiveness yep. of football. Like you yeah. say, kids being worried, they'll, they'll be let go. I'm sure that in in practice that's not going to happen, but there's always yeah. that fear there. So mm. if you've got people that are trained um, to come forward to spot the signs of, of poor mental health in players, of, of anyone struggling and just say, you know, are you okay? Um, we can signpost you to, oh, to hear, here, exactly, here, here. They, they, they don't have to be experts. They don't have to be yeah. clinical psychologists, but if they know where to signpost players to, um, mm. they can be a massive help. There's an organization um, called the Chris Mitchell Foundation up in Scotland. That are doing that. Um, it's named after a, a footballer who sadly took his own life after injury forced him to retire. Um, it's run by the family, and they train professional staff from from every professional club in in the Scottish system. All 42, oh, yeah. I think, it is um, in that mental health first aid. So if they've got a player yeah. whose um, his body language has changed, perhaps they can spot. You know, actually, I'll have yeah. a word with him yeah. after training. He might be fine, but he might he might need a bit of help. I think we we need that really in in England, um yeah. we need that everywhere. Um as far as we can get it. If if staff at every club um are trained in that, yeah. it's the safety net that will catch so many people yeah. before they fall. Rather than trying to rescue people after they've fallen off the cliff, let's stop them getting yeah. to get into the edge. It's a line I've stolen off um, one of the academics I've interviewed for my like <laughs> in the book, like Dr. Dr. Misha yeah. Jervis. But it's a very good point. Um so I, I think that's an excellent point that you've made.
0: Yeah. Um well, because of that, Johnny, see, we've we've actually developed um, the mental health first aid training ourselves to be able to enable clubs to do that. So from a grassroots perspective, we've spoken to providers and they've said, like, it's between three and four hundred pounds and two days. And I thought from a grassroots perspective, a grassroots, a grassroots coach or club are not going to have to afford that amount of money, but also that amount of time. So we've worked with our trainers, distilled the mental health first aid into a half day online session, which covers all the topics. And as you've identified, allows people to spot the signs and signpost. And that's what mental health first aid is about. You know, it's also teaching you um, about, you know, things not to say, you know, around around suicide, things like that. Obviously, terms around suicide that are not to be said and just. Being able to, like you say, you know, you're not, we're not making people clinical psychologists or mental health experts, but we're giving them the tools to be able to potentially spot signs. And like you said, in a dressing room, if a senior member of the first team goes up to one of the other players and just asks that question, that person then knows that it's there and, and, you know, might not feel worried about approaching that, you know, the, the captain or, you know, someone senior, you know, before and knowing that they understand, you know, to, to a level mental health and and, and that people need to talk about it. So, you know, I, I think I think you're spot on. And, and I think what they're doing in Scotland is amazing. I'll, I'll certainly have a look at that. So like just going to the grassroots football, it, it can be highly competitive and demanding at, at all levels and at all ages. How do you think clubs and organisations at grassroots level can contribute to creating a mentally healthy environment for players, coaches and everyone else involved within the clubs?
1: Mm -hmm. So the the grassroots chapter in my book, I looked at a couple of clubs that are essentially uh, mental health football clubs. So mental health is at the forefront um, of what they're doing. Not every club is going to be like that to be set up with that specific game. But there's a lot of best practice that you can take from these clubs. So one of them um, from a a charity that I'm partnered with actually, called BEDA, it's named after someone who again sadly took their own life um, a couple of years ago. Um, And they play, they don't play in a league, Um, they play, I think it's first Saturday of each month typically they'll play a friendly game. Um, So they've got a a squad of players, they all turn up each week knowing that because the team is a mental health football club, it's a safe space, It's somewhere where um, they can, if they're feeling low, they can talk about it because they know the people there are going to support them. Equally, they can just turn up and and play football if if they don't feel confident Mm. um, talking about their mental health. If they don't feel the need to or don't want to, they can just still turn up and and get the mental health benefit. Um, And we've already mentioned that that comes from just the physical act of playing football. Um, That will benefit everyone. So I think the more people we can get into football, the better. Um, teams that aren't specifically mental health friendly football clubs, um, which, again, just need to be accommodating, I think. Mm. Um, like we've said, you get the best out of people when they feel valued, um, when yeah. they feel at their best. If clubs have a toxic atmosphere, you're not going to do well on the pitch like I think if we, we can all understand that. Like um, even people that are cynical about mental health or a yeah. uh, yeah. or, or dinosaurs, so to say, yeah, 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 um, yeah. so to speak. So then, then the, I think it just getting everyone getting their head around the fact that actually, yeah, we're, we're going to do better if everyone if everyone gets on and if yeah. everyone likes each other and feels confident, comfortable in that environment, then everyone benefits and the team mm. benefits as well. The, the idea of mental health first aid is a similar thing. I think at grassroots level, be fantastic. Now, we we look at, um, and you mentioned the financial issues um, with that. And it's, again, something I'm really passionate about. If you look at the Premier League and there's over a billion pounds spent in this transfer window, um, it, you think, like, even they, they're talking about a 10% levy on transfers. I think, great. Even a 1% levy. Yeah, I mean, 1% would it, be amazing. Massive, yeah. um, I think money should be... Um, say it's redistributed but certain things should be ring fenced if you I mean I support a league two team but if you give a a league two team um, money without any specific way to spend it it, it's going to go on players realistically yeah so the the criticisms that people give of the the idea of a 10% levy often around that let's let's redistribute this money but ring fence it so a certain amount has to go to um there are issues in grassroots such as getting you know, enough pitches, for example, yeah. pitch yeah. maintenance, kit, things that are helping people afford fees if they're, you know, from low income families. Yeah. Yeah. Let's ring fence some money for mental health. Let's let's fund mental health training for people at grassroots level, people that run junior teams, so I think it's particularly yeah. important um adult teams on a Sunday morning where um football can be a a big support network for them let's take some of the money that's in the Premier League it's not going to hurt the competitiveness of the Premier League because the money is so far above any other European League it's ridiculous let's use some of this money for the the benefit of people's well-being you'll even see the benefits on the pitch in the Premier League 20 years down the line if that's all you care about but (laughs) I think the the well-being benefits are, are vital and the money that is there for us to use um and i'd I'd love to see that go through so i think structural reform can be a big help um and then yeah the i think again just the the idea that um we we talk about grassroots and it can really be anything from a good level of football on a sunday morning to the fiver side that i play with my mates on a wednesday night if i were to give a, a message to anyone who's know like myself not great at football not sure about taking it up whether they want to play in a competitive environment the idea of social leagues or less competitive leagues, yeah. or um there is, there's there's a, a league called the flourish league in sheffield where um, the, the main prize is essentially the fair play award at the end of the yeah. season um teams that like are a, a benefit to the league get particular credit I think the more leagues we can have like that, set up yeah. for people to just play football without worrying about being the worst player there yeah. or letting the team down, so then more people can get the benefits of playing football, mm. I think that would be great as well.
0: I think more and more of them are popping up now, you know, Johnny, because I think certainly adult football is having to change because when I played a long time ago, um, it went were, it were massive. And where in where we are, there was like, On a Sunday, there were six leagues on a Sunday, all with 20 teams. And this is just in our small area of West Yorkshire, where we are. Uh, There were so many leagues on a Saturday. It was packed. As a a junior grassroots footballer, junior football in this area, and I think across the country from speaking to our county FA partners, is absolutely flourishing. I get text messages, phone calls every week asking if, you know their 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 young their youngster can join our team and we're full, but adult football seems to be suffering a lot for changing lifestyle and, and such like and, and I think one of the things that I've seen I had this conversation last week with someone is that junior football is so well set up now the safeguarding the, everything is done brilliantly you know as a coach I have to go on courses every year to refresh safeguarding first aid etc and I think that young players are, are coming through the junior football age groups in this lovely safe environment and then they get to sort of maybe 18 and then they're pushed out into adult football where it's maybe not as safe maybe you know some of them are getting lumps kicked out of them by people that stink a beer from us on a sunday morning the level of protection isn't there you know where where and you know from a from a safety perspective if anything happened there was someone there to help them in adult football just get on with it mate you're fine and I think that's one of the things where people are dropping out of adult football because of the reasons you've mentioned, Johnny. And, and I think there needs to be some sort of transition model from maybe under 18s to under 21s to under 23s and then into the full adult football to give them that stepping stone into the into the inevitable changes they're going to have when playing in the nice, safe-ish environment of junior football into the what can be quite a, I'm trying to think, it's not violent, but, you know, quite shall we say, uh, industrial version of football, yeah. you know, if you, if you like. So I think things are changing. And, and these leagues that you mentioned and the idea of non-competitive football for people that can just, you know, shack up on a Monday night with a team and have a kick about, that is brilliant. And I think, you know, the, the, it'll be good for the mental health of the whole community as well, because as you've said, it all contributes. Um, it, in your view, what are some practical way that coaches and mentors could support young players mental health development
1: um i think acting as role models so anyone who feels comfortable about talking about their own mental health then great i think it can always be a help if if coaches do that yeah it it will help normalize the the topic of mental health so it it needs to be something like you know uh, for example um, i can't remember who in the book said it but um you know, i might be going to my dentist on monday and i say oh you know i've got a dentist appointment or i've I've got a i've got an ankle injury and i'm going yeah. to the physio oh, I've, i'm not feeling my best i'm i'm going to speak to my, my therapist my counselor yeah. if we can um if we can equate physical injury to to mental injury if yeah. you like and i know this is something the pfa are doing um so it's michael bennett um, yes. at the pfa that he he ran a um an event, I think it was called Injured, um, a conference called Injured, where the idea was that we should start treating mental health yeah. like we do physical health. Um, I think if coaches can uh, walk the walk on that and, and really uh, lead by example, um, and look after their players that, that might be struggling, then I think that would be great. I think that that's probably gonna bring about change. Uh, if And if you bring about that change in the younger generation, it will just um, it will cascade through um, you know, twenty years' time, I you know, say t- today's players will be tomorrow's managers so if um if a manager now can make a, an impression on twenty young players, then yeah. that could make an impression on four hundred young players mm. twenty years down the line if they go into management so the the impact that um, coaches can have can't be underestimated I think
0: so you know for you feel the main thing is be a role model, practice what you preach and and, and talk about openly talk about. You know, mental health. So it's I, the norm to them.
1: I think so. I think so. We we all we all talk about the importance of everyone talking about their mental health and yeah, if you can have role models in that position that feel comfortable doing so, and it it doesn't have to be you know, in in it personal details they don't want yeah. to go into. Even just a you know a conversation at the start of training. How are you all doing today? Yes. How are we feeling? Yeah. Um, especially at junior football, it's important mm-hmm. for it not. To about winning as well yeah. um remember james war Prowse um when he, he did an interview where he talked about every training session he would go to as a kid the last thing his dad would say to him before he got out of the car is what are we here for enjoyment was the mm. words to that yeah. effect was was yeah. his response and that was reiterated before each training session yeah. so that um that as well um i think is, is probably important to to keep you know the 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 real reason uh, young players are there at the forefront
0: of their minds before training and matches. That's exactly what I said to my lads before a game. I said, I don't care if we win 10-1 or we lose 10-1. I said, the result is not important to me. What's important to me is that we enjoy it, we learn and we give 100%. And if you do those three things, quite inevitable, you might win. But I don't care, lads. I said I don't care if we win, and I said that to parents openly. I said I don't care if we win or lose or draw. All they care about is that they enjoy it, they learn, and they give hundred percent. And 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 I see a lot of it in grassroots that you know that it's win, 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 win. I think that you know the, the, the eleven and twelve year old kids let them enjoy it, let them enjoy it. You know, so I I totally get you on that. Going back to the book, then Johnny, you mentioned uplifting stories about how footballers you know, help manage, manage, help. People manage their mental health could you share one or two examples that have stood out to you
1: yeah um let's talk about my own example here which i think is um is perfect so addiction the the chapter on addiction um and bearing in mind that the the reason i've written this book is to try and help as many people as possible basically so part of my research is reading um plenty of the of other books and my whole bookcase at home is full hundreds honestly. Fantastic. Um, um and one of them was Tony Adams' book. Um and he talked about um not realizing he was struggling with addiction because he could go on a, a binge for three days mm. but then not drink for a month. Yeah. And he'd be in this cycle where he'd convince himself that he didn't have a problem because he could avoid drink for a certain period of time. But then when he started drinking it there was just no end. Um it was similar to my own experience um I I could go a month without drinking I've never really craved a drink until Mm. I've had that first pint and once I've had that first pint there is no stopping so that actually made me realize yeah okay like I have got a problem I I managed to get through 23 years of my life without um having that realization and getting it to the and I probably kind of knew deep down and always told myself I'd stop drinking maybe in my 30s but actually i don't think i could have waited that long um because it, it was i was in a bad way uh with it so from writing the book i've managed to help myself um so that's that's one person that this yeah. book has helped if no one reads it danny um it's still worth me doing it yeah yeah good on you, the, mate. the changes I had to my own life um and there are people in the book um that have spoken many people have spoken about their own stories how they've managed to get help how their their lives have been um benefited by ultimately realizing that something is wrong and and going out and and reaching out getting support um so hopefully th- those stories um can inspire people to do the same if if someone like know marcus bent who's played in the premier league for 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 many years or chris kirkland who's played for england if they can talk about receiving mental health support and how they've been helped by counseling therapy whatever it is then i think it will encourage other people to do so as well and that's what i'm really trying to achieve with the book
0: Did, did you get any idea of so, like, Chris Kirkland, keep for Coventry, played for, didn't he? And he'd Everton as well, massive guy, wasn't he? And then Marcus mm. Ben, did he play for Stoke as, 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 and for a number of other clubs he, as well?
1: He played for the most, he's the most Premier League clubs one player's played for, right. I think. It might have been eight Premier League clubs, yeah.
0: I always remember him being a really good-looking lad, Marcus <laughs> Ben. You know, just from a cracking forward, wasn't he, I think? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Lovely it's,
1: bloke as a, well.
0: You know, like, when you talk about, like, I, I'm I'm surmising that the mental the 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 sort of support they got was after their career. Would that most of it was that? Have, did they mention maybe why they didn't get it during the career, or was anything you picked up on?
1: Yeah, um, so none of the players I spoke to really had any mental health support during their career at all. Mm-hmm. So Marvin Sordell said he received nothing. Um, yeah. Chris Kirkland nothing. Um, quite a few players that. Um, there's a chapter on players that were released at academy level um, mm-hmm. and said so how they dealt with that. And yeah. None of them, them criticised the clubs they are at. None of them had yeah. any feeling towards them, but they never had any mental health support yeah. With, yeah. with the club or after. Yeah. And we we're only going back five years. I mean, there was one lad yeah. in the same youth team as Declan Rice, for context. So he's probably the same age as me now, 20, 23, 24. Um, still didn't receive any mental health mm-hmm. support. So I think football is perhaps not quite a bit realized the importance of Mm -hmm. it yet There's some things that will be structural so the the mental health support that should be provided in academies it it shouldn't be on the young players um, to go and seek that out so part of it is the football world itself Um, I think so in Marcus Bent's case he just didn't really understand what mental health was yeah he, he said that whilst he was playing football, um, it was, like, like we said at the start of the interview, very much focused on the next game. Yeah. He didn't want to be seen as what people might perceive as weak. Yeah. But mostly he just didn't understand it. Um, mm. Like myself, when I was in my teens, he, he probably never heard of the term mental health until yeah. he retired. And yeah. it was only when he, he got to this low point um, that he then realised there was something wrong. Mm. So I think that the more the football world can... Um, normalize the conversation and yeah. the more people that speak up about it the more players will go actually like you yeah, know maybe there maybe i could improve my mental health yeah maybe there are maybe there are things i can work on to to improve my mental health even mm-hmm. if it's if i've not technically or not actually got a problem yet like i'm you know i feel okay but i could end up you know here i could end up yeah. here either side of the scale um where do i want to be um so as players understand more what mental health is, that it's not a weakness. Um, everyone yeah. has mental health, whether it's good or bad. We have yeah. good days, we have bad days. Everyone in their life will have bad days. It's impossible to avoid yeah. them. I don't, I don't yeah. care if you're the happiest person in the world. Yeah. You will have days where you're feeling yeah. down. Um, so the, the more players will understand this, hopefully the, the younger players mm. coming through now will um, appreciate um, that they need to, to look after their mental health, whereas perhaps the players that, are, um, that have retired are in their 30s and 40s now uh, just, just didn't really have that during their playing days. So I, I do think the landscape will change, but certainly th- there wasn't any mental health no. support available or accessed um, by these players during their playing days.
0: I think it's like an educational thing as well. You know, obviously it is, but players are, it's drilled into them, that you know, how to be physically the best, how to train, what to eat, what to put in your body here, but I don't think they train and what to put in your body here, do they? You know mm-hmm. what what they're doing and you know things like I'm sure a lot of them will spend time on you know playstations and things like that because they have a lot of spare time, you know. And, and then the impression I get is they're not being fully educated on on it's not just what you put in your mouth that affects your health, it's what you put, you know, what you consume, you know, on your phone and things like that and you know like you said about harry Maguire and running his own social media account couldn't agree with you more you know as a it it must be horrific for his family you know Mm. for the for the for what he gets which is completely unwarranted completely unwarranted and it's it's one and people just say well that's football but it shouldn't be should it
1: yeah absolutely
0: so um can you elaborate on how the narrative shared in your book Challenge the traditional notions of strength and vulnerability within the football community so not just you know professional footballers but at the top of this we talked about football and how it impacts the community and and what brought me to thinking have you seen the um Wrexham documentary uh that's on Disney have you seen that and I've
1: heard I haven't seen it but I've yeah certainly heard a lot about it
0: I'm constantly talking to people about, you know, football and community and how, you know, probably like the teams of Wrexham's Hill that are smaller, but also bigger teams. There's a community around the the club, you know, and and, and the Wrexham documentary or, you know, the entertainment show, brilliant, but it just showed how a football club impacts a community and how Mm. what's happening on the pitch can be in direct correlation with what happens off the pitch, in the community around the area in which the football clubs associated. So, just going back, you know, any can you elaborate on how the narrative shared in your book challenged the traditional notions of strength and vulnerability within the football community?
1: Yeah, I, I think a lot of the the book, a recurring theme throughout, is that football, a lot of the time, will confuse mentality and mental health. Yes. Um, so. so- so players that are, are seen to be struggling with their mental health or talk about mental health, sometimes it, people will look at that and say, he's not he's not in the right headspace. He's not got the yeah. mentality to play. Whereas actually, um, we, we've touched upon the examples of Deli, Ali, for example, if you're struggling with your mental health, you're not going to be at your best. Mm-hmm. Like It's not strong to be sitting there in, in silence, not getting yeah. help um, yeah. just for the sake of putting on a, a face. Yeah because you think it's going to suit the the norm of the environment you're in if you're you're playing yourself down by doing that um strength is working on your mentality uh, and your mental health really to to develop yourself as a player but also as a person Like we we, we're talking here about the elite side of football getting the best out of people but there, there. probably most of the people I've spoken to in my book um aren't and never have been professional footballers they're people involved in the game there's a chapter on referees for example same sort of thing um it just anyone as a person if they are feeling confident to get help um and and not to feel like they've got to put on a face just to fit in in an environment um it will benefit them as people that they'll be um better versions of themselves and I, again i can take this back to myself um in my teenage years i mean i i didn't really know there was anything wrong with me so getting yeah. help would have been difficult but if i'd stepped out of my comfort zone a little bit uh, perhaps and put myself out there i could have had so much of a, a better life really mm. um, okay. it, it, and it's, it's yeah. just a mistake that i don't want to make again and it's a mistake i don't want other people to make And there was nothing strong about me sitting there and pretending everything was okay so actually vulnerability and and feeling like you can do that is a strength if that makes sense so the 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 more i can get that across from my own experience if that's what it takes or the experiences of Mm. the vast majority of people in the book are broadly along these lines um that yeah getting help can just yeah, make you a better version of yourself, really. Yeah. Um, and so that's that's something I really want to uh, highlight and, mm. and focus on from th- throughout the book, really.
0: I just just a, just thing I've picked up on Johnny, and you use the word mistake there for yourself. And and you know, it's not a mistake, mate, because you, you know you, you you don't know what you don't know, do you? But then when you know it, you look back, and I do as someone my age, I look back and think oh god if if I knew then what I know now I'd be but that's not life is it you know life true, is about true. life is about and I don't think you made a mistake mate but life is about making mistakes isn't it and, and the people that that get on and progress are the ones that learn from those mistakes or perceived mistakes in my opinion in your case you know and that's what life is it's a series of ups and downs it's a roller coaster cliche but it's a roller coaster and it's getting Mm. kicked and it's and and like you say no matter who you are no matter how much money you make or how successful you are or whatever life is difficult it is and that's what Mm. life is and life is things are sent to challenges and and some challenges are horrific and some challenges are you know little piddly stuff that annoy you but that's yeah. life, mate. And and to say you've made mistakes, I'm not I don't agree with that, mate. I think I think, you know, how you speak and what you know at someone your age, not be condescending to you, but someone of, of who is in their early twenties, mate, you should be very proud of yourself. You should be very, very proud of yourself, mate. And what you've done, what you've achieved so far with all the books and this book, it it, it it's gonna be brilliant, mate, it is isn't it. And I think it's something that there needs to be more of. And and for me, mate, you're a trailblazer in this because, you know, you're someone that's lived it. You've got a vast knowledge of football, I can tell by what you're saying and all the people you've, all the networks you've, you've got yourself into and the people you've spoken with and your knowledge about it, mate. You know, just my advice and my hope is you don't stop now, you carry on because what you've got needs to be shared, you know, needs to be kept out there, mate. So, you know, please don't. So it's a mistake, it's not, it's life, yeah. And, you've, and no, what you've done, thanks is for immense. Picking up on that. yeah, no, you're
1: right, it's a, the wrong choice of words. Like, I say, if you don't know something, then you there's yeah. nothing that you can do about it, which is why it is so important, um, to, to keep raising awareness. And yeah. hopefully, what, what you're doing and um, will, will help do that, what the book's in will help do that. And the more people that are aware of this, the more people can then, yeah, look after themselves and get help. And that's, yeah, it's like I say, hopefully, what um, the book helps to. Sure, achieve. it
0: will. Sure it will, mate. So just to to finish, then, what message do you hope readers of your book, listeners of this podcast will take away regarding the intricate relationship between football and mental health? Um, a, A
1: really kind of basic one is football can help your mental health um the the vast majority of people reading it will be like me like you football fans yeah Uh, allow yourself to take something back from football like we all love football we've all put a lot into it Um, yourself as a coach me as a fan and we, we can all whether it's as a supporter a player if you're you're playing on a sunday morning if you're going to watch your team you you can use football to make yourself feel a lot better um so for the vast majority of readers that's the key message There there's lots of um things on a grander sort of structural scale that i think the football world can and should do to to change and improve mm. and if this book can influence that then great but that's not yeah. the main aim i think the main thing is just helping everyone realize that we've all got mental health we we can all do things to look after it to benefit it and we can all use football um to to the benefit of our mental health as well That's why we all love the game so that's uh yeah, that's probably my key takeaway. Um, if there was one thing to take from the whole book, and I think the last sentence of the book is actually football can help your mental health, simple as that. Um, so yeah, that,
0: that's definitely one thing to, to focus on. Brilliant. So just remind us, title of the book, where we can find the book, please.
1: Yep. So it's called Match Fit: An Exploration of Mental Health in Football. Um, it's available on Amazon, Waterstones, um, most major online retailers, really. So I think W. H. Smith's got it as well. Um, yeah, it's available online now. Came out last Monday. Um, so yeah, you can you can pick that up online.
0: And remind us, who was it trending above?
1: yeah so we there was a, probably a half an hour spell where it was uh, you get the charts in amazon it was yeah. number 52 in football books um and Lionel messi's biography was down at 54. Excellent. um so i made sure i took a screenshot of that yeah. Um savored the novelty while it lasted um but yeah it's, it, that was a, a quite quite a funny moment um quite enjoyed it i'm i'm sure it's probably moved back ahead of me now but uh hey yeah, Joined it while you were, it lasted.
0: You were, above, you were above the goat. What can I say? No, <laughs> no no, higher accolade for that, pal. So that's something to take away. So, well, Johnny, look, thanks so much for this. I've loved it. It's been amazing. You know, what you know is is fantastic. Just keep doing what you're doing, pal, because it, it, it it's only going to help so many people. And, you know, the book, get it on Amazon. Remind us again, Johnny, what's it? What's the book called? Uh, match Fit, An Exploration of Mental Health and Football. Really, Johnny Lowry. thanks so much for this. Really appreciate it, pal. All the best.
1: Cheers. Thanks for having me on, Danny.
0: Cheers, Johnny.